The NBA draft is tonight. There appears to be zero drama with the first pick, uh, but there's some intrigue after that. Out to the uh, KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined in the sports zone by Isaac Trotter, 24-7 Sports. And Isaac, good to have you back on the show. Uh, the Spurs are going to select Victor with the first pick. You know, we've all seen, by at this point, we've seen, all seen highlight videos, so we know what he does well. Nobody plays well all the time. You've seen much more of him than uh, you know, most people uh, or anybody for that matter. So when he's not playing at an elite level, what are some of the, you know, the, the constants as to why? You know, is, uh, you know I guess I'm ask, asking in a kind of a convoluted way here. Are there some weaknesses to his game that might transfer to the next uh, next level with the NBA? Yeah, I think that when you look at Wemby, the one maybe potential concern is just how thin he is. He's not super strong. Um, You know, I think he's a strong guy, obviously, but he's not just like super chiseled, you know, going to wow you in the weight room type of strong. And so I wonder if we potentially see him get a little bit bullied uh, by, you know, those those imposing strong big men like a Joel Embiid. I could see Joel Embiid you know, putting his shoulder into Wemby a little bit and Wemby like getting pushed back a little bit. So I think that that might be the one concern, but I don't know. I, I still just look at his body and look at his game. I think he's going to be able to work through some of those things just because how long and athletic he is. I mean, seven foot five, his hands are just enormous. His arms are enormous. So while he could take some of those body blows and you might get him once or twice, I think he'll adjust and he'll get you too, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, you mentioned the hands thing. I think we all saw that when he did the first pitch thing the other night before the Yankees game. Uh, he's already said that he's going to play in the Las Vegas Summer League. What do you want to see from him, and how should we evaluate him in the Summer League? Yeah, I just want to see what his game looks like um, playing in a spacious, open floor. I just want to see what his playmaking is. You know, I think we've seen some times where his his pull-up jumper is, is really nice, but his threes that he can get to, I, I'm, I'm just interested to see what his shot selection looks like and maybe kind of what the plan is in place. Are they going to view him as, like, you know, a guy they can post up in the mid-post area and let him get his own offense on? Or is he going to be a guy that when he gets the defensive rebound and he's pushing it in transition, is he initiating offense? Is he their offensive hub? Like, those are just, like, a lot of the questions that I have more on the offensive end because I know defensively he's going to be phenomenal. Like, I, I just think that he's going to be – an elite rim protector right away. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him to play a ton in summer league. We'll definitely see him. I wouldn't expect him to play a ton, but I know defensively that he is going to come out and put a, on a show just with the way he can move his feet, protect the rim. Also then, you know, recover and get out to contest threes. It's just, he's just a special, special defensive prospect. And I think that'll be very, very evident from the moment he steps foot in summer league. And then obviously into the regular season as well. Charlotte drafting second. Roughly one week ago, it was a pick between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, but reports this week have them, you know, that after Miller had a great workout, Miller is uh, certainly a strong now wagering favorite to be the second pick. Who should be the second pick selection, uh, second selection, excuse me, Miller or Henderson? Yeah, I've been a Scoot Henderson guy for a while. I just think the explosiveness, I think he's the second best player in this draft. Uh, Sean Sirania just reported this morning that Charlotte is now shifting to Scoot Henderson, and he seems to be the guy that could potentially be the pick at number two. Who knows at this point, right? Like, it's just shifted back and forth. I think that 
diligence. But I thought Mitch Kupchak, the uh, general manager for Charlotte, made a really interesting point yesterday when he was talking about how he wants to find the guy who has, is the most dangerous when the ball is in his hands. And I think that is where Scoot, that just seems like it's tailored for Scoot. You know, the Derrick Rose, John Morant-esque, you know, comps, I don't think are, are crazy. Just his ability to get into the lane and finish and with bad intentions. He attacks the rim like wanting to tear the rim off. And, that, and that's not something you could see from everybody. He might be 6'2", but he's got six foot eight wingspan, super long, super bouncy. The pull-up jumper is there. And, you know, the character thing is the other thing that I just keep going back to. Everybody who's been around this kid loves him. Thinks that he is a grinder, a worker. He just all he wants to do is just lock himself in a gym and get better, and become the best player that he potentially could be. And I think that that's like the last missing piece there with with the Charlotte conversation. It's like, hey, we add a guy like this. We know, hey, maybe he's not you know a knockdown three point shooter yet, but we know he's going to make himself into the best version of that he could be. He's already an excellent player. I think he'd be the number one pick. Last year, I think he might be the number one pick. Next year, the year after, like if he wasn't with Wemby, he'd be the number one pick in a lot of drafts, and I think Charlotte's going to end up taking him. Yeah, we know about the Miller character stuff. We're going to, I'm sure, for people that maybe don't know, you're going to hear plenty about that tonight during whatever broadcast you're watching. Miller's game, however, um, how does that translate to the NBA for you? He's a phenomenal player. You know, I think just because I'm a scoot guy doesn't mean I – I dislike Brandon Miller. I think that he is a really, really impactful wing who can create his own offense. You know, at Alabama last year, they actually had him play point guard a lot of possessions. So he's comfortable making decisions, making reads. He has to improve, like all young players do. But I just think there's a lot to his game to like. You know, the, the shooting is easy to see. I think the defensive side of the ball, you can see him being an impactful piece there and, and, and then initiating offense. Like I think of a Paul George-esque comparison for him. That, that adds up to me. I think there it wouldn't be, you know, that surprising if Brandon Miller turns into a Paul George type of player. And, and that's a really good piece. I think if you're Portland and say, you know, Brandon Miller drops you at three, I think you feel really good about a long-term, about a wing duo of Shady Sharp and Brandon Miller together. Sharp just an explosive vertical athlete who can put his – chin on the rim without even trying and then Miller shot making that's that's a really really fun long-term duo to build around okay one thing about Charlotte one more thing about Charlotte obviously you know Michael Jordan selling the franchise but he's still involved in the selection process obviously Mitch Kupchak is his guy he's still there does, does that seem awkward to you yeah a little bit Right, uh, that's it's just a very it's a very weird dynamic. Like, how much should Michael Jordan's voice matter in this? You know, MJ is a legend, but I do think that his career hasn't been helped by his tenure with the Charlotte Hornets. I think that's fair to say, just with everything that's gone on. I, I wouldn't say that Charlotte has crushed it under Michael Jordan's leadership, and so you kind of you know forecasted like how much should his voice matter? I think it will matter. Uh, but I, I, I would be honest, I would be lying if I said it's not weird, right? Like, it's just, it's odd to see someone leaving still, you know, from the outsider's perspective, have such a big voice and, you know, a decision that could be, you know, franchise-altering. Isaac Trotter, 24-7 sports, currently in the sports zone. You mentioned Portland. They've got the number three pick. To, you know, there's the Damian Lillard drama, depending on what day it is. <laughs> That's been kind of going on for seemingly like a half decade. Uh, you know, do they just do, do they just take whoever Charlotte doesn't take, or is it more to it than that? 
Yeah, I think they would really like Scoot. I think that that would have been something that they would have loved. But I agree. I think that the value of the number three pick is uh, greater than anything they could have gotten on the open market, you know, trading for that thing. I don't think that there was a franchise-level player that would elevate Portland into essentially passing up Denver as a Western Conference favorite um, that they could have gotten with the third pick package with Anthony Simons or something to help Dame. So if they, if they add Brandon Miller, you know, I think Dame Lillard is super smart locked in. He understands the value of that pick. But I, I just get the perception that if Damian Lillard really went out of Portland, it would be now. Like, he wanted them to use that pick to potentially get him a piece that could help. You know, the market just didn't make sense. It didn't add up. And I think it would just make a lot of sense for Portland to go in a different direction and Dame to go in a different direction as well. Going, hey, I tried my hardest to, to get this franchise, you know, over the hump. I am loyal to them to a T. But, you know, there, what, what I want now and what the franchise wants and what is best for the franchise would probably be best for me to leave right now. And I don't think it would impact his legacy as a trailblazer legend at all if he decided, you know what, now is the time to move. Because, you know, it just feels like, you know, the Portland has so many young pieces that are building together, but the timeline just doesn't add up for what Dave Lillard wants. He wants to compete for a Western Conference Finals, you know, make it to the NBA Finals like right now. And this roster, if you add Brandon Miller to the mix, just is really young and feels a couple years away from that, you know, from that lofty goal. Okay, next up, the Thompson Twins. I've seen highlight packages, almost all of them, or them making plays in the paint or at the rim. Uh, Are there perceived offensive strengths? Uh, Does that translate to the NBA? Yeah, I think the big question of both of them, and for for one twin and for others, it's different, but like the the – players that they played against last year, right? They did play against high-level competition a ton. So that was really choppy film. And then the jump shot is pretty ugly for both. So I think they're still kind of learning and trying to get there. But Osar and Amin, like, they're phenomenal athletes. And they arguably 99th percentile athletes. They have a chance to be just elite, elite, uh, high-caliber impact pieces on both ends of the floor. But I think it might come a little bit different. It might just look a little different than what we're used to and if the jumper comes along you know we're talking about guys that they are supposed to be you know top five top six picks and I I have no doubt in my mind that they will end up being you know really impactful pieces like Osar is a phenomenal defender like he is elite elite defensively I I think that he could be you know challenged for all defensive team in his future Amon is a terrific playmaker and passer and just at his size like it, there's a lot to like there of a jumbo-sized playmaker like them. So, And their work ethic is great. They, their interviews have been really good. They, people really like them. And, so, and they didn't come out of nowhere either. That's something I should mention as well. Like The pedigree before they went to OTE was there. And you know the guys I worked with that scouted them early in their high school career raved about them. So I just see a lot of positives with them. And you know the work ethic, I trust that the jumpers – can get fixed. I think they just do a lot of really good things right now. And if their jumpers improve to, you know, to just be mediocre to average, I feel like you got really, really impactful pieces for, for long-term success. So yeah, I expect them both to go top 10 tonight. I'd be stunned if one of them dropped out of that. Okay. So we're in the period we've been in the period, but certainly the least 24 hours or less than that now before the draft. Some players are perceived to be rising on draft boards. Who are those players, and do you agree with uh, you know, that, that thought process? 
Yeah, the biggest riser right now has been Kobe Buskin out of Michigan, and I love it. You know, we're talking about a guy who is a sophomore technically, but he's younger than a lot of the freshmen in this class, and he was terrific down the stretch from Michigan, really, really good defender, terrific on-ball creator. You know, he was getting reps at point guard, he reps at shooting guard, like he turned into an alpha. Uh, He was guarding the best players on opposing teams. He just can score at all three levels. You think a little bit of like Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel quickly with the with the comps for, for a guy like that. And he's quickly risen into a potential top 10 pick. I think that he's going to be a guy that people will really, really love. And then, you know, on the West Coast, people are love watching Jaime Jaquez, right? One of my favorite players in all college basketball. He's been a big-time riser, too, throughout this process. You know, I think a lot of people thought of him as maybe a, a early second, late first-round pick, maybe – you know, a month ago, and now it's like, could Miami be in play for him at 18? Could Golden State be in play for him at 19? Because that dude is a killer. And, you know, I've talked to certain people, like, they've been trying to, there are other agents asking around to see who's going to be in these open gyms and making sure that their players are not in the gym at the same time as Jaime Hawkins because he will embarrass you and he will take your soul. And so it's kind of fun to hear some of those (laughs) stories about, guys just trying to avoid being in a practice one-on-one to open gym setting with Jaime Hawkins because they don't want their stock to look up a little bit worse because Hawkins is just just a beast. So I, I expect Buskin and Hawkins to be, you know, guys that have quickly risen up draft boards, and you can see why. There's just a lot to like about their games. And great people, uh, great characters, great families, uh, really good college players, and we've seen a lot of times those really good college players, they find a way to be impactful role players at the next level. Like Dylan Brooks was an absolute stud at Oregon and found a way to be an impactful role player for Memphis and, and whichever team gets in next. So, like, there's a lot of those examples of guys who just find a way to be winners, and both of those guys can, can impact winning at a high level. Yeah, we're, we've obviously seen tons of Hawkes, and I can him in Miami just seemed like a perfect fit. So that'd be interesting to see if that happens. Okay, so the other side of this, who are some players that are sliding down, the, you know, original projected spots in mock drafts, et cetera? And do you agree with that? Uh, you know, some of those guys that might be declining. Yeah, Cam Whitmore is one that has been sliding a little bit, and just kind of the interviews have been a little bit iffy. He's a pretty quiet kid. He's He's not a super bubbly personality, and so I don't know if that's come off the greatest in interviews. I totally disagree with it. And maybe it's just smoke screen. Maybe maybe these teams are trying to say all of these situations, like, hey, Kim Whitmore's dropping, hey, all of these different things, because they want him so badly. Like, I, you know, Sam Bassini, who does a great job scouting for the athletic, he does his big board. He has Kim Whitmore as the number three player at the strap behind Victor and Scoot Henderson. He has him higher than Brandon Miller, higher than the Thompson Twins. And, and, I, I tend to agree with him. I, I love Cam Whitmore. And so, like, the the idea that he's going to drop because of, you know, maybe he's not the most bubbly and ener- <laughs> energetic person in, in interviews doesn't make any sense to me because flip on the tape, it's just it's fantastic stuff. Sure, he can't – he hasn't shown a lot of as a passer, but, you know, just how huge he is, how strong he is, how he just bullies people to the rim, how he just gets to the rim whenever he wants and obviously shot it from three really, really well after his thumb injury uh, was healed at, at Villanova. So there's just a lot to like about his games. I, I am not buying this idea that he's dropping. I see the reports. I, I get it. But it's just, I think on draft night tonight, we're going to have guys in that front office, you know, they're about ready to make the pick, and they're going, are we really going to pass up on a kid like this? I, I just have a hard time thinking they'll actually do it. They might talk about it. I don't know if they'll actually do it and pull the trigger and, and pass on a, a potential, you know, multi-time all-star who could be a defensive player of the year and uh, – 
you know, a, a 20 points a game score wing that everybody seems to crave. Another thing we're going to hear a lot of tonight, I'm sure, is best available player versus position need. What's your philosophy when it comes to that question? Yeah, I think uh, in the lottery, I don't really care about fit. I more care about just pure talent. But towards the end, I'm all for finding the right fit. And, uh, you know, I think late first-round picks are kind of been like a shot in the dark, like it's a little bit of like a, a dark throw at this point. And you have to be, you know, you're trying to take like educated gambles. And if you can take a correct educated gamble and you have the intel that you believe that this kid is a hard worker, um, you think that he can fit into your system well, he does a lot of things that complement your star really well, that makes a lot of sense. Like Christian Brown, you know, I think there are guys that may be more talented than Christian Brown on the board last year, but Denver thought he could be a perfect piece for what they wanted. And they had championship expectations. They have their top three guys in place. And so it's going to be just fine for Christian Brown to go there, and maybe they don't want to take a big risk on somebody later. So, yeah, that's kind of like the balancing act late. And a couple of guys that I look at are like Trace Jackson Davis out of Indiana. Like, what's your fit? What do you need? Like, he's not a perfect fit for every roster. He needs to be in a specific orientation in order to get the best out of him. But, like, Dariq Whitehead is a big-time swing candidate. Like, he's had multiple foot injuries. Is, is he healthy long-term? Is this scary to, to draft a former five-star guy who's had not one but two surgeries on the same foot? Like, that, that is scary. But there is a big swing there. So I think it, it just kind of comes down to the different philosophies of each run offices. I, I, I would ignore fit early, but I would really hone in on it late in the first round when it starts to get a little bit hit or miss with, with certain picks. Okay, last up, Azulas Tabellus. Certainly had no problem scoring at the University of Arizona, but he was so bad on defense that more than occasionally at the end of close games, he wasn't on the floor because of his defense. Will Tubelis be drafted tonight? I don't expect him to be drafted. Um, and that not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, sometimes being an undrafted free agent, you have a little bit more of the say in where you want to go and it maybe finding mm -hmm. the opportunity where you can go best. So maybe that ends up being a good thing, but... Like you said, I think there's a lot of questions about him in pick-and-roll coverage. There's a lot of questions about his perimeter skills, how much do they translate. Uh, there's questions of if he's big enough and sturdy enough to guard fives one-on-one without needing help yeah, as a double team. You know what I mean? Like, can he hold up alone on the yeah. blog and and be Not many people can, right? <laughs> that's, that's not <laughs> what a lot of people think. Not a lot of people can, but uh, it, that is a question with him. And I, I think that his strengths are he runs the floor really hard. He can finish with both hands in the lane. I think that he can. He sets really good screens. I think that's an impactful piece. But I think his role at the next level is playing defense and rebounding. And the playing defense part is a, a big factor in it. So I, could he get drafted potentially if somebody sees something in there? But I don't know. I, I feel like being undrafted isn't the worst thing for him if he could find a situation where maybe a path to being a backup five who plays 15 minutes a game is more advantageous than some of the teams that have picks in the mid-50s. Isaac, this has been great. We've had you on twice. I uh, really appreciate the knowledge. We might uh, drag you back out for uh, some summer league discussion at some point, too. So thanks. Anytime, man. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Isaac Trotter of 24-7 Sports.